Good morning. You uh, ready to get into God's Word together this morning? Ready to hear what God would be pleased to teach us today? We are continuing our series through Ephesians, the New Testament book of Ephesians, and today we turn a corner uh, because we come to chapter 4. In the first three chapters of this book, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, has been explaining God's plan. God's plan for the universe, God's plan for this world, God's plan for our lives. And how that plan is all wrapped up in the person of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come to chapter 4, he's been explaining the plan. Now at chapter 4 we turn a corner and we begin to see how we live it out how we live out the plan. So we're going to pick it up here in chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 1. Let's uh, listen to the word of the Lord this morning. Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Being a Christian is about living a life it is not about just believing some beliefs. It's about living a life, not just believing some beliefs. There are, seem to be a lot of people who think that what makes you a Christian is if you agree in your mind with certain biblical facts, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He rose from the dead, uh, after dying for our sins, and so on. 
and they think this because they think that mentally agreeing, saying, oh yeah, I believe that, I agree with that in my head, that that's what faith is. But faith in Jesus is never simply mental agreement. Faith in Jesus means trusting him. And if you trust him, it'll change your life. It changes how you live. And that's why Paul starts this second half of the book with these words. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Worthy of the calling. Worthy of the plan we've been talking about for the first three chapters. Live a life worthy of that. And so from this point on in the book, he's going to be telling us what that worthy life looks like. And he starts with the verses we just read. So what's he saying? How does he start out? What does this worthy life look like? Well, you might think, in talking about a worthy life, he'd start with a list. Some kind of list, maybe of the bad things we shouldn't do, or maybe of the good things we should do. And there are lists coming later in the book, but that's not really where he starts. He doesn't start so much with a list. He starts with a perspective, a big picture point of view, a way of thinking about what life is for. So the first quality of a, of a worthy life, a life worthy of our calling as Christians, is to have a certain mindset about what life is for. And it's this mindset. Okay, to live a life worthy of our calling, we need to have this mindset, this conviction, that I need to live so that the body of Christ will grow. That's what my life is for, as a believer in Christ. To live so that the body of Christ will grow. Did you notice the emphasis on growth here? Verse 12 talks about the body of Christ being built up. Verse 15 says that we will in all things grow up. Verse 16 talks about the body growing and building itself in love. Why the focus on growth? Because that's God's plan. And that's what the book of Ephesians is all about. God's plan. God has a plan to create a new humanity. A new race. A new community of people. People who are connected to himself and who are connected to one another through faith in Jesus Christ. And this new humanity, this new community, goes by several names in the book. Uh, they're called the people of God. They're called the family of God. They're called the temple of God. They're called the body of Christ. They're called the church. Church is not a place. Church is not a building. Church is a people. People who have been given new life through a faith relationship with Jesus. And it's the very same group that Jesus talked about when he said, I will build my church, my people, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's God's plan. That is God's plan. Jesus building his church. Jesus growing his church. In other words, more and more people getting connected to him and becoming more and more like him, more and more mature, 
means being like Jesus. This is our calling. This is what God has called us to. So, to live a life worthy of this calling means living a life so that this happens. So that the body of Christ will grow. So the church will grow both not only in number, but in character. You can think of it quantity and quality. That's the agenda. For us to become this new humanity, this new people that God intends us to be. And so the question, of course, is how do we do that? Apparently, it's not automatic. This book would have been a lot shorter if it were automatic. You know, Paul wouldn't have had to start out here, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, if it just happened. It doesn't just happen. So how do we live? How do we live so the body of Christ, so that the church will grow? Since that's, what's, that's what God's intent is. Well, as we read through these verses, what I see is I see there's a couple of, of obstacles to growth uh, or a couple of tendencies that you and I have that inhibit the growth of Christ's body, the growth of the church, and, and we have to recognize these and we have to overcome them if we're going to grow. So that's what I want to look at. I want to look at overcoming. What, what, what are these tendencies? What are these inclinations that inhibit growth that we need to overcome? All right, the first is we need to overcome our tendency to disconnect. You and I have a tendency to disconnect. Or you can say it this way. We have a tendency to want to do our own thing on our own rather than wanting to do God's thing with one another. We have a tendency to want to do our own thing on our own rather than do God's thing with one another. And church is definitely a one another thing. I challenge you to find any place in the Bible where church is about doing your own thing on your own. It's not. It's about doing God's thing with one another. Uh, verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Look at that. Make every effort. Think about it. If it takes effort to maintain unity, then obviously there must be a tendency for that not to happen. I kind of think of it like magnets. You know, if magnets, they can, they can all just be attracted and, and join together, right? Or they can repel each other, and you can't push them together. You ever tried to do that? You know, you get the magnet and you get both on the north end and you try to put north together and it goes like that and it's like well so in one sense they get all come together in another sense they get all just fly apart what makes a difference it depends which which way they're turned and this is saying turn so that you're unified not so you're disconnected the opposite of unity is disconnection and we have that tendency you say well what's the big deal about unity why is unity so important? Well, let me reread verses 4 through 6. See if you can pick up a certain emphasis here. Okay? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. You see any emphasis there? 
oneness. Oneness. Why all the oneness? Because God is one. One God. He is spirit. He is Lord. That's a reference to Jesus. And he is Father. They are one. God is one. And God has one plan. And one body, one people, one group, the church. So, since every believer in Jesus belongs to one God, that means we all belong to the one body. And the way we live ought to reflect that because the way we live is supposed to reflect God. And God is one. It's kind of like we're all jigsaw puzzle pieces. Any of you into jigsaw puzzles? Do you guys like jigsaw puzzles? Nobody. Well, that's... My wife's not in the room. She likes jigsaw puzzles. I personally hate them. Um, <laughs> because whatever part of the brain you need to have to be able to figure out which knob fits into which socket, whatever part of the brain that is, I don't have that part. And I, I can't do it. I'm very bad at jigsaw puzzles, so I just think they're stupid. But, um, you know, you get a jigsaw puzzle, you look at the box, and there's this, one, there's this wonderful picture on the front. And you open it up, and it doesn't look anything like that picture. Why? Because the pieces are all scattered, separated, disconnected. And so what you have to do is you get the pieces all put together, you get them connected, and then you see the beautiful picture, right? Okay, that's us. We're like that. And what we have to do is when all the pieces get connected properly, there's this wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about one of those older, weird pictures of Jesus where he looks like a woman with a beard. I'm talking about I'm talking about the real living powerful awesome loving Lord Jesus the real deal who he really is okay but we've got to get connected now obviously from a practical standpoint we cannot be connected to every Christian in the world because we're every place. And that's why churches are needed in every place. Because churches, when they get their pieces connected, they're like a miniature portrait of the main portrait. It's kind of like when you get your school picture and you get the 8 by 10 and then you get a bunch of little wallets and it's the same picture. It's the same portrait. It's just a smaller version. And each church each church needs its jigsaw puzzle pieces connected to show the portrait. If we're not connected, if we're disunified, if we're scattered, if we're all doing our own thing on our own instead of God's thing with one another, we're not showing the portrait of who Jesus is very well at all. So how do we overcome this tendency to disconnect? built-in inclination we have. Well, I see three things from these verses. Three things we need. First of all, we need a sense of calling. 
We need a sense of calling that unites us. We need a sense of calling to something big enough that we will unite together for it. We'll come together for it. Just last week, I saw the movie The Avengers. Okay, some of you have seen it. If you don't know, it's based on a comic book series, and it's about, it's about these six superheroes who come together to save the world, of course. And, and when I saw it, I thought to myself, man, this is Ephesians chapter 4 right here. <laughs> well, not exactly, but it does illustrate the point, because Early in the movie, these six characters are not united at all. They've all got their own individual strengths. They've got their own opinions. They've got their own agenda. They're actually fighting with one another. But then, in fact, one of the characters says at one point, he says, we're not a team, we're a time bomb. Then, something happens that changes everything, and they realize that if they don't unite, they're going to fail. And if they fail, it's all over for the earth. So they come together, and they set aside their individual agendas, and they pool their strengths for a common purpose, a purpose that's big enough for them to unite as a team to save the world. And you can't help but think as you watch this, yeah, that is so cool. Because unity is powerful. It's a powerful thing. And you know why? It's because unity reflects who God is. True unity reflects who God is. All right, are you a believer in Jesus today? If you're not, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're checking it out. But if you are a believer in Jesus and I am a believer in Jesus, then we have the greatest purpose of all to unite for to set aside our individual agendas, to pool our strengths and work to make it happen. Because we're talking about fulfilling the plan of God for this world. Being used by God to bring all things under the loving headship of the Lord Jesus Christ so that people can know His love that surpasses knowledge, so that they can praise his glorious grace, so that they can reign with him forever, so they can be blessed with every spiritual blessing. I mean, no other pur pur purpose even comes close. Nothing else even comes close. You can give your life to making money, to acquiring stuff, to having a bigger, better house. You can try to achieve fame. You can try to win the admiration, the approval of people win the affection of others, none of that will satisfy your deepest thirst. It won't. Because you were made for something bigger. You were made for Christ and His purpose. And only that purpose is big enough. So that we will unite and we will seek to fulfill that purpose Together, We need a sense of how big this call is and put our other things aside and go for it.
We need a sense of calling big enough to unite us. There's something else we need to overcome this default to disconnection. We need to love the way Jesus loves. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility, gentleness, patience. These are the antidotes to disconnection. And where do they come from? They come from Jesus. He's the source of true humility, gentleness, and patience. We, you know, true humility. Jesus showed us what that is. He washed his disciples' grimy feet when he was their Lord and Master. And he showed us by doing that that we're never too important to help someone with a need. We're, no job is ever beneath us. No job is ever beneath us. Genuine Christ-like humility. Gentleness. Jesus showed us gentleness. He showed us gentleness when he interacted with that Samaritan woman. If you know the story, if you don't, it's in John chapter 4. And he's talking to this woman, and she's just kind of got this attitude. And Jesus could have really hurt her. He could have wiped her out because of all he knew about her insecurities, all he knew about her immorality. He could have just cut her off the knees, and he didn't because he didn't want to hurt her. He wanted to win her. He used his strength for her good. That's gentleness. It's not about being weak. It's about controlling your strength for someone else's good. Christ-like gentleness. And then Christ-like patience. Bearing with one another. Jesus showed us this again and again. I mean, how many times? Putting up with those disciples, in spite of the fact they just didn't get it. Teaching them over and over and over, and they didn't get it. And all their stupid pride squabbling over which one of them was the greatest. We're not that different. I love to read about the disciples go, <laughs> those guys are just stupid. And then I see similarities. You know, the fact is, there is plenty about each one of us to drive all of us crazy. There is. I'll tell you something. If you look for a reason to get upset at God's people, to get frustrated with them, to just get turned off, upset, nose out of joint, offended, you'll find it. Because it's there. And you say, well, oh, those people just don't get it. I mean, and they're not encouraging to me. And they're not very supportive. And they're not very helpful. I know. And you don't get it either. I mean, we all, we're all in process. And we've all got plenty about us that'll drive you crazy if you let it. And the way to overcome that is Christ-like love. Bearing with one another, putting up with each other. Why? Because we've got this greater calling that we've been called to. And if we'll show each other Christ-like love, we can do it. And then one more thing to overcome this default is we need to pursue unity 
as a God thing. It's a God thing. It's not merely a human thing. You know, in this world, people are always trying to rally the troops and unite everybody around something, and they try all sorts of ways to do that, you know, peace treaties and, and trade agreements and political campaigns and educational initiatives. And I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily bad, but they're all going to fall short of this kind of unity. Why? Because this is a unity that comes only from God. It comes only from God. Notice verse 3 tells us to keep or to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's God's Spirit that creates the unity. We don't. It's His unity, His purpose, His goal, His plan. Which means that to overcome this tendency to be disconnected, we need to depend on God, not on ourselves. What does that mean? It means we've got to ask for it like we need it. And we need it. We can't create it. We've got to ask for His help. We've got to ask God to give us that sense of calling. We've got to ask God to help us love each other with Christ-like love so that Christ's church will grow. Will you pray for that? Will you ask God for that? That's what it's going to take. That's what it takes to overcome this tendency to disconnect. We need to connect. And then the other tendency we've got, I don't just mean we. I'm not talking about just flight. I'm talking about everybody who's a follower of Christ. These just come naturally to all of us. The growth-inhibiting tendency, the other one we have, is the tendency to be passive. We need to overcome our tendency to be passive. Notice the change in verse 7. First six verses, it's all about unity. Keep the unity of the Spirit. There's one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one God, and so on. Then we get to verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Okay, so now the focus shifts from unity to diversity. Oneness does not mean sameness. Oneness is not sameness. Because Jesus has given us different portions of grace. That's talking about different gifts. And all the gifts are needed. All the gifts are needed for the church to grow, for the body of Christ to grow. All of us working together, using our abilities to help the church fulfill its calling. But now for all kinds of reasons, all kinds of reasons, cultural reasons, church leadership reasons, followership reasons, I mean, just all kinds of reasons, Christians tend to go passive when it comes to church. And church becomes an event to attend, something to go and spectate, be a spectator, rather than being a team that we need to connect with and work together with to accomplish this great God-given purpose. You know, it's so easy to act like bystanders. It's so easy to act like spectators. But that's not the way it's supposed to be, and that's really boring. It's really boring, and it keeps us from growing. It keeps us from growing as individuals, 
You know, if I'm not involved, if I'm not connected, if I'm not using my gift, I'm not going to grow. And then the body of Christ isn't going to grow either. Not as well. Look, Jesus gave us gifts to use them. You know, there's different kinds of gifts. Jesus doesn't give knickknacks as gifts. You know what knickknacks are? Some pretty silly little thing. You put it on a shelf and you look at it. Jesus isn't into knickknacks. He doesn't give knickknacks. Jesus gives power tools. Gifts that he expects us to fire up and use. That's the kind of gifts he gives. Gifts that make a difference. Now, there are all kinds of excuses we can use to be passive and not get involved. And this passage pretty much demolishes all of them. So we're going to take a look at them one at a time. Excuse number one, I don't feel called. I don't feel called. I don't feel like the Lord wants me to get involved in this. And the idea is that unless Jesus gives you a special invitation, like speaking to you directly through a dream or uh, an inner voice or something, well, then you can just sort of opt out of involvement in growing his church. Okay? You know, well, that's, that's just for people who are really spiritual or people who, who graduate from Bible college or seminary or something. Wrong. Wrong. Jesus has already called all of us to be actively involved in his mission of building his church. Okay, verse 1. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Verse 3. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Who's this written to? Is this written to pastors? Is this written just to Bible college graduates? Is this written just to super spiritual people? No. This is written to ordinary Christians just like us. Just like us. We've all been called already. We don't need another call. So no matter what age you are, no matter what your level of education, no matter what your background, no matter what your talents are, or what your vocation, what you do for a living, every Christian is called to get involved in Christ's purpose of building his church. Excuse number two. I don't have a good gift. I don't like my gift. It's not that great. And you got Christians who want to opt out of involvement in Christ's mission because they're not able to teach Bible studies or they can't lead singing. And that obviously is what everybody needs to do for Christ's church to grow. Well, no, not by a long shot. Verse 7, look at it. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Who decided what gifts you've got? Jesus. He gave you the gifts he wants you to have. And he expects you to use them so that people will come to know him and that people will grow in him. He gave you the gift. He expects you to use it. Look at 1 Peter 4, 10, 11. Each one. Okay. Who does this not apply to? Just raise your hand. Each one. Okay. Each one should use whatever gift. Whatever gift. He has received to do what? To serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace because the gift is a, is a piece of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do so as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised. 
through Jesus Christ. So see, there's different kinds of gifts. Some have speaking gifts or upfront gifts. Others have serving gifts, helping out kinds of gifts. The key is use whatever gift you've got to serve others so God may be praised. If you want to do that, you can do that. You can do something to help the body of Christ grow. Excuse number three. Ministry is for trained professionals. Ministry is for trained professionals. I mean, this is why we pay pastors, right? So they can do all the ministry. So they can visit people, so they can go to the hospital, so they can share the gospel, so that they can help people in need. That's their job, right? Verses 11 and 12. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. That word service, that's the word ministry. To prepare God's people for works of ministry. Who does the ministry? Look at it. Who does it? God's people. What do pastors do? They're supposed to prepare God's people for ministry, primarily by praying for them and teaching them God's word. Let me show you a quick video clip about this, okay? Take a look. I mean, you, you, you go to church, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do. Yeah, so what, what are your thoughts on, on God and church and heaven and stuff? All great questions. Just, um, it's, it needs to be answered. Pretty deep question for out on the lawn this morning. I do have a lot of thoughts on that particular issue. Sam, you rang? Pastor Mike, what took you so long? He was just asking me kind of what I believe. Gotcha, I'll take it from here. Thanks. See you guys. Okay. Well, first of all, Sam believes the Bible's the inspired, infallible Word of God. Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross as a, a propitiation. I'm sure your dad's going to start coming to the games. You know? Once the divorce is funny, how things get better. Pastor. Can I, can I get a minute? Uh, not really. I'm, I'm babysitting. I've got some groceries to deliver and bill. I'm That's great. For... Look, hey, Jack over here needs somebody to show him the love of Christ. Dad's a real jerk. You know, you've got the counseling background. We got tickets to a game. We are late. Maybe just a round of catch to show him, hey, somebody cares. Yeah, well, you know, see you Sunday. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, buddy. Yeah, I'm feeling okay, but the place is falling apart. I just don't know what to do. Every last dollar goes to the doctor. What can be done? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know. That's, that sounds really sad. Somebody need a minister? Oh, pastor. Great. Um, she can't take care of her house. There's got to be something someone can do for her, right? You mean help her out? Uh, meet her needs? That's a great idea. Why did I think of that? <laughs> don't know. I, you know, I just did preach a 16-week series on showing love in practical ways. Oh, yeah. Hey, great series. Good luck, huh? <laughs> Actually, I was just helping an older woman walk across the street. I left her in the median. Hi. When 
pastors try to do it all, it's a disaster. It is a disaster. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to overstate that. You know who the best person is to minister to your friend, your loved one? You know who that is? It's you. It's you. And if you call a pastor to do it for you, for one thing, the ministry won't be nearly as good because there's no relationship. And ministry flows through relationship. And the other thing is, is you'll end up missing out on what God wants to do through you. And it will keep you from growing. One of the biggest mistakes in the history of the church was making ministry a professional task for some Christians instead of the responsibility of all Christians. We are all to be ministers. And if you find yourself ever thinking, hey, I wish the church would do this. I wish the church would do this ministry. You know what? Find some people and do it. And the church will be doing it because we are all the church. Don't wait for some leader to plan a program. It might never happen. And then the fourth excuse the church doesn't need me. My gift doesn't matter. Okay, verse 16, look at it. From him, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Okay, so the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as, as a few of the parts do their work. Oh, wait, no. As some of the parts do their work. Oh, as most of the parts do their work. No, as each part does its work. Each part, just like a body. A body needs all of its parts to be working, to be healthy. That's really the definition of health, is that all your parts are working. You ever had a sore hand, or a sore foot, or a sore tooth, or a sore back? Things... It's hard to get it done. We're so much better together. We're so much better together. Now you might say, well, what if I, I don't know? I don't know what my gifts are. Okay? Here's some ideas. Ask your friends. Ask your friends what they think your gifts are. Pray. Ask God to help you figure it out. Think about what you'd like to do, what you can do to help the body of Christ grow and achieve its purpose. And maybe most of all, this might, well, I wouldn't say this is more important than prayer, but try different things. We usually don't find out what we're good at without trying some things. And by good at, I do not mean doing stuff in ways that people will admire you and be impressed with how great you are. See, that's tend to what we think is if I'm good at something, other people will say, hey, you're great and admire us. That's not what this means. Exercising our gifts in such a way that God gets praised, it's not so that they'll think how wonderful we are, it's so they'll think how wonderful Jesus is. That's using our gifts. If you really want to do that, you can find a way. Help the church achieve the purpose God's given us. Overcome the tendency to disconnect. Overcome the tendency to be passive. And I see so many of you doing that. I really do, and it is awesome, and I just want to tell you I love you, and I appreciate you, and, uh, you know, so many of you are praying and working and using your gifts and serving to help the church fulfill its mission, and it's awesome, 
We've all been called to do this amazing work together, to live a life worthy of the calling that Jesus has given us. Let's do that. Let's pray together as we wrap it up today. Uh, Father, this calling is so big and so awesome that we might tend to think, well, we're so little, we're so insignificant. What could we do? And Lord, you have done amazing things in and through us, and you have amazing things to do. Maybe you won't impress anybody but you, but that's what counts. And so, Lord, help us fulfill the calling. Help us have this perspective of living a life worthy of his calling, living so that the body of Christ will grow, because that's your purpose. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.